Well, I'm excited this morning um, because we have an opportunity to uh, tr- end our series that we've been walking through as uh, we've been looking at the last words of Jesus as he prepares to uh, really prepare to go to the cross. And uh, so we've been looking at what Jesus has to say about the end, whether the signs of the end and what it will look like and uh, how to be prepared for that. And so today we're having the wonderful opportunity to to continue and, and conclude this series. But heck, this week, there was an interesting phenomenon that took place uh, that I always am intrigued by. Uh, you know, Facebook flows, blows up after, uh, you know, like elections. So this time of the year where we go through and we, we elect our elected officials, we let our voice be heard, and we have an opportunity to, to let our nation know where we stand. And, you know, it's always interesting how people respond differently to the same message. So, like this... Tuesday night, as I remember watching a TV and the returns are coming in from some of the, the, the election and from the votes and we're trying to decide on which candidate is uh, going to be the one that we choose. And it's interesting how when, when the news comes in and the early returns come in and we see that this the, uh, candidate is already way far ahead and, and maybe with only two precincts um, su- uh, coming in and reporting, they already call the election for someone, you know, and they say, well, this candidate has already won and only 2% of the votes have been in. And it's interesting to see how people respond differently to the same message. Like someone says, hey, this candidate's going to win. And you can see that there are some that, that are really supporting that candidate. They hear the message of their candidate winning and there's great joy. There's great hope. They think that maybe this person can come and, and save our government, can save our country, or maybe that same message of this this person winning or going on to win the, the election, we can see that there are some that feel really saddened by a certain candidate winning, or they may feel like our country is headed towards disaster. So the same message can change the way we feel, or can, we can respond to the message in very different ways. And so today, as we come to a point uh, in this sermon series, as we look at what Jesus is, is sharing with his disciples as he's taken them away and has, is teaching them on the side of the Mount of Olives, he's is giving them a message. And as he's sharing this message, what he is literally saying is that there are some in the coming time that are going to hear this message, and to some it's going to be words of sweetness. They are going to hear words of victory. They're going to hear words of excitement. But then some are going to come and hear this message today, and it's going to be a message of doom. It's going to be a message of gloom. It's going to be bad news. So for summing up what Jesus has been saying, he's begun teaching about giving them signs of this is the end. This is what it's going to look like. Uh, We don't know when it's going to come, but know this is the signs of what it's going to look like in his coming. And he says, so you don't know when, but what you can do is be prepared. Be prepared for Jesus' coming. And he says this. He says, live as though I'm going to come back at any moment. Live as though I can return just like that. So live with that expectancy. But then also he says, plan and be prepared that I may not come back for hundreds of years. So in the same way, we live in that tension. But today, as Jesus is con- going to conclude his teaching points to his disciples today... He's going to point to a time in the future when he himself is going to to come back. And he he is going to come back and there's going to enter in this time of great judgment where every person that lives, every person that has lived, every person that will live will stand on these scales of righteousness before the great judge and they will be judged whether they are righteous or they are not. And this announcement will be either received with rejoicing or will be received with great doom. 
So that's the context in which we're going to jump into the, the Word of God today. And I want to keep that before you so that you are aware that this is going to be a hard message. This is, not, this is one of those messages that you don't like, wake up in the morning and say to yourself, man, I'm so excited about being able to preach the doom and gloom of God or the judgment of God. It's not something we get excited about, but it's something that's real. And it's something that should cause our hearts, one, to be grateful if we're not part of, of the judgment of God, but also be prepared to engage those that are. So before we dive in, let's just pause and pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that loves us. We thank you, God, that you are a God that cares for us. And Father, that you are a God that has not left us here to figure things out all on our own, but that you have made yourself known through your word, but you've also made yourself known through the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, because he has come, we know the way to be reconciled back to you. So I pray today that this message would be a message of hope, a message of encouragement, a message of excitement to the hearts and minds of those that believe. But Father, I also pray that this word would be a word of conviction to those that are here today that don't know you. May they become uncomfortable with their sin. May they become overwhelmed with the reality that they will stand before you in judgment. But may they also not leave in a place where they feel like everything's futile. But Father, that they would return or that they would respond by turning to you in faith and trusting in you. Feel your forgiveness, experience your grace and your mercy. So Father, these next few moments, may your words be words of encouragement, may your words be words of challenge, but Father, may you change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so take out your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you've got a a Bible that we provided for you, uh, you can look on page 708, I believe it is, uh, 708. And we are going to end up and finish up chapter 25 of Matthew. So we're going to begin in verse 31. So I'll give you just a chance to get there. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. And if you look at the title of this, if your Bible has subtitles, this says that it is the final judgment. So we're looking at and looking towards what Jesus has to say about a time that is coming in the future. And he says, this is it. And it's written in red in my Bible, so that means Jesus is saying that. And so it means it's Jesus' words so that we should listen. We should listen to all of God's words. So we begin looking in verse 31. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So he has already in chapter 24 and in chapter 25 kind of given us a picture of the coming of the Son of Man. And so he says, he begins again as he's concluding this teaching time. He says, Jesus' coming will be great. So that's the first thing we need to see here is that Jesus' next coming will be great. So the Son of Man comes and will be in his glory and has all of his angels and he will sit on his glorious throne. So what Jesus is doing is he's pointing to a time in the future that really begins to mark the last chapter of God's plan of redemption. For we see that God has had this plan from before the foundations of the earth were laid, from eternity past, God had this plan for redemption. He had a plan to redeem man. And we can see that throughout history, as as God is bringing about history, he has certain things or different chapters or different pages that he turns. And so he begins in eternity past where God has great love. He has great love and he wants to share that. And so his great love in eternity past is pointing towards creation. So we see at the beginning of Genesis, we see that in creation, God, because of his great love, began to to display and began to to show his glory through creation. Part of God's creation that he began 
was pointing to creating humans. And in humans, he created us with the, the ability to love and to experience love and to give love and to receive and give worship. And so in creation, so life began to point into creation, but we see that in the created order, we see that those which God created began to rebel against God. They said, God, we don't love you. We don't want you. We don't know you. We don't want you to be our God. We don't want you to be our king. We want to be our own. And so because creation rebelled, God began pointing to the next chapter. God said, I have a plan for your rebellion. I have a way that you can give up your rebellion and you can be saved and you can be redeemed and you can be brought back into a relationship with God. So history pointed to this, this first coming of Jesus and his cross. So we see that God in this chapter provides a great provision. He says, because though you sin and though you rebel, you can find grace, mercy, and peace because Jesus has come. He lived a perfect life, died your death, and paid your penalty. And so Jesus here, as he's preaching today or teaching today, he's pointing to the cross. He's saying that is coming. But then after that, there's another thing that creation is pointing to. And creation is pointing to his second coming, the time in which Jesus, the king, will return. And this return of Jesus will begin the last chapter, the last chapter that will go on for eternity, the last chapter that will go on for infinity. And this last chapter is known as the chapter of eternity. So it began in eternity past and ends in eternity forever, where, the, where forever will rest those which he created in two states, the forever state of blessing or the ever state of curse, which we're going to look at today. So in Jesus' first coming, we know that he came in very humble circumstances. He came in a humble way for the sake of humanity. But if we see here in his second coming, we see that his coming is coming with great, he's coming in the proper place as he's going to sit on the throne. He's going to come in the proper way where the angels will be singing his praises and saying, glory to God in the highest, glory to Christ who is the king. And we see that he is going to come and he's going to come as a king. He's going to come as a judge. And he's going to come with absolute authority. So in that moment when he comes again, we will see that he is the only king and he is the only true judge. And we live in a world today where there are lots of imposters. There are lots of imposters that say, I am the king or I am the judge. I am the one that is able to decide whether you are good or not. And we ourselves sometimes become our own kings or our own judge. But Jesus says in him of himself when he comes again that he will be the king and he will be the judge. So the second thing we see is we see not only his great coming, but we see a momentary gathering. Look with me in verse 32. He says, before him will be gathered all the nations. So there's this momentary gathering where before him, what is going to take place is the angels and God himself are going to call out all those whom have, who he has given life. Everyone that has, has had life or has life now or will have life, what is going to take place is they will come and they will be gathered unto him. And he uses the word nations here. He says, all nations, those, everyone that has been given life. Now, when Jesus says nations, he sees nations a little differently than we understand nations. So when we think of nations today, we think of nations as countries. So we think of countries such as Canada. So we, we think that, that Canada is going to come and be at the feet of Christ. Or we, we think of things like Mexico, and Mexico is going to come and be at the feet of Christ. But when Jesus is talking about nations, he doesn't see demarcation of land barrier. He sees people. So what Jesus is saying here is all the people of all the nations. So God sees not only just the nations, but he sees the people of those nations. So God sees Jose in Mexico. 
And what he's saying is, Jose and many other people who have ever been created, they will be gathered in this momentary gathering where they will come and they will sit at the feet of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, we heard it read already earlier today. Philippians chapter 2 gives us a good picture of what this looks like. He says, because prior to this, he says, because Jesus was obedient and he went to the death on the cross, God exalted him to the right hand of the Father. And he says this in verse 10, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see even Paul as he's writing in Philippians, and we see that Jesus he's talking here is pointing to the same thing, that there will come a time when all the nations, every person, will come and sit at the feet of Christ, and they will bow their knee, and they will worship Jesus for who he is. Now that's a cool thing, right? That's, that's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture to see that there is a time where Jesus will sit at his right place and will be will receive the honor and glory that he is due. But as we transition to the second half of verse 32, this becomes one of the hardest things for us to hear and for us to understand. As created beings, we don't want it to be this way. But Jesus has said, this is the way it is. And so he, he's going to talk about some that will experience some gloriousness and some will, who will experience some horrifying eternal experiences. As we look at what Jesus has to say here, I want it to grip us in a new way. I pray that as we look at these next few verses, that as a believer, if you're here today and you already believe in Jesus Christ, you're already following him with your whole heart and your whole life, I want these words that Jesus says to us to be a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement to you to know that whatever pains or whatever challenges you're going through, you're already a part of his family. You're already a child of his. And so as you walk through the challenges of life, be encouraged. But I also pray that these words for you, if you are a believer today, are words of motivation. Words that motivate you to be reminded that your life is not about you. The things that you do and the things that you experience and the people that are around you are not there just for you, but they're there and the experiences, the opportunities are for you to be able to tell others about this Jesus. If you're here and you're not a believer, you don't even know what that means. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard of Jesus, but you've never given your life over to the Lordship of Jesus. I want these words today for you to hear them as words of truth. Not words of a story that are just made up, but words of truth. Words that God himself, who made you and made me, want you to know about his character and who he is so that you can respond in an appropriate way. So you no longer run your life being a rebel rebel against God, but you live your life in obedience to God. So let's look at this eternal separation that is going to take place. The second part of verse 32. After he gathers all those that are all the nations, he will separate people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Jesus, as he sits on this throne will sit there and each individual person that has ever been given life, ever been given the gift of life, will come before Jesus 
and will be separated based on whether they were a sheep or whether they were a goat. Jesus uses this as a picture. It's almost as though, uh, I don't know if you've ever shepherded sheep or ever um, have been in the process of, of taking sheep and, and herding them, but Jesus is giving the picture of, as the shepherd. And he says that all these animals, all the animals that were given that are under the care of or the ownership of the shepherd um, come into, and it's almost like the, the picture of their, they're coming down this, this chute towards at the end of the chute where the shepherd's sitting and he's there with a gate. And so the gate opens up to either one of two pins. And he says, as the sheep are coming down, what Jesus is saying is as the shepherd, he controls the gate. And he's going to look and he's going to say, you're a sheep, you go this way. You're, you're a goat, you go this way. And so as the shepherd, he has the right, the opportunity to look and to see who is there and then is going to begin to separate them. So the shepherd is the one in control of the gate. He is going to allow those animals as they enter to be designated as a sheep or a goat. And what's interesting here is the designation of being a sheep or a goat is not based on what the sheep or the goat did, right? It's not based on if you were a sheep or or what the goat or the sheep did, but this designation or this separation is based on what, who the sheep or goat are, not what they did, but what they are. See, the amazing thing about this is we need to understand is that every person that has ever been given life begins as a goat. We begin life as a goat. And some along the way begin to hear the voice of the shepherd. And they begin to, to change their life from being going about the life that a goat does by just eating and carrying on. They begin somewhere along the way, something takes place and they hear, maybe for the very first time, the voice of the shepherd And they turn and they look to the shepherd. And when they begin to trust in the shepherd, what takes place is an amazing transformation. They immediately are transformed by placing their faith in the shepherd. They can immediately be transformed from being a goat to being a sheep. That's not a power that the sheep or the goat can do to themselves, but God who created them can. He can change them. The Bible says it's something like going from being dead to being alive. That's the power that Jesus has in the life of someone that trusts in him. And so he says this to them. He says, so there are some that are sheep and some that are goats, but what makes the difference is the the goats never knew the shepherd. But the sheep, they know the shepherd and they follow the shepherd. And the shepherd cares for the sheep. If we look through the rest of this passage, we can, we can see that now what Jesus is going to begin doing is he's going to spend time comparing the sheep and the goats. He's going to say, this is their end. This is what happens. This is what they look like. This is what they do. And so let's look at this in verse 33. Then the king, oh, and, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed. By my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he goes on. So he talks about those that are the sheep. And then he gives us a, a picture of the goats in verse 41. He's, then he says to those that are on the left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So he gives us here a clear indication of, of trying to, to describe what it looks like or, or what uh, awaits those that are sheep or those that are goats. So the sheep are believers, and we see here that he says he gives them a great position. He says that they will be on the right side. 
And so he places them on the right as a, a place of honor. So the sheep are in a place of honor. We can see that the goats are placed on the left. And so the goats are in a place of not honoring. They're not the honored ones. They are the goats or unbelievers. But then we see that Jesus gives them uh, another thing. He says, some of them will have the opportunity. If they're sheep, they will have the opportunity to come. They have access. They have closeness. They are welcomed by the king. They are welcomed by the master. But those that are goats, those that do not believe, those are supposed to depart. They will be distant. They will be separated. They will not have that closeness. We see that the sheep, those that are on the right, will be blessed by the Father. They will receive a blessing. They will be loved. They will have joy. They will have everything that God has created them for. But we see the non-believers, they will be cursed. They will be separated. They will be cursed. The sheep will inherit the kingdom of God. They will be with God for all eternity. They will inherit everything that God has and has made and is will be theirs. But then we see those goats, they will inherit an eternal fire where there'll be punishment. And they will no longer be with God, but they will be with the devil and they will be with the demons. We also see that the sheep and those the believers, God has prepared that he had in mind this blessing before the foundations of the earth. This is not something that God just created as he went along, but this is something that was been on the hearts of God for eternity. So there's a preparingness of blessing or a preparingness of punishment. So we need to see today that if we're here, we are in one of those two camps. We're one of those two animals. You're either a sheep this morning or you are a goat. There's no sheep goats. It's a sheep or a goat. And I think we need to understand uh, what is the basis for this blessing or this cursing? How do we know what we are and, and how do we know how, to, how can we transition from being a goat if we don't want to be a goat any longer? How can we be a sheep? And if we're a sheep, how do we know that we're a sheep? And Jesus gives us this in verse 35 to 40 as he begins to take a look at um, the blessing, the basis for blessing or cursing. And basically, he's going to sum it up by saying this. You know the basis for your being blessed or your basis for being cursed is how you responded to Jesus while you were alive. That's the basis, not by what you do, not by, not by who you are, but the basis is how you respond to Jesus while you have life. Let's look at the blessed response. Jesus says, for those that are blessed, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But then he goes on and gives the cursed response. Those that are, are cursed, he says, this is how you responded. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer to them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
You see, in this passage, we see those that are blessed or those that are righteous had a completely different disposition and different actions towards Christ. You you can tell by what someone believes by what they do. You kind of talked about that in the past. But if you want to know what someone believes, just look at what they do. And that's what Jesus here is saying. Not what they do saves them, but it shows what they believe. And so we look here and we see the, the, the sheep, those that were righteous, those that were blessed. The reason that they're in this position is because we can see two things. One, we can see that they saw, they were able to see, and then they responded by caring. For what they could see changed what they cared about and what they did. And so we see this seeing and caring connection shows by who we are. They were able to see Christ. And through their actions, they showed that they cared. And by their caring for the basic needs of Christ, by giving food, by giving shelter, by giving relationships, there were actions to show where their faith was. What's amazing about this is I love their surprise. They go and they say, Jesus, if that's the way, well, when did we see you? When did we do this? And, and Jesus says, you saw me when your faith in me opened your eyes so that you could see the needs of your brother and you were moved to compassion and you cared for them. When your eyes are changed, when you see Jesus for who he really is, he begins to change you inside and it motivates you and changes your actions. See, when the spirit of God comes into someone, when someone places their faith in Jesus, this miraculous thing happens. Your disposition is changed. The, the direction of your life is changed. You change from looking at trying to advance your own interests. You, you change from looking at yourself and saying, okay, this is all about me. I've got to make sure that everything around me is all about my safety, my satisfaction, my own joy, my own pleasure. And what happens when you come to faith in Christ is that changes. You no longer look to your own interest and look and looked at your own care, but you look, you begin to take on the eyes of Christ and you see others, and your heart's desire is to help others. That's when we know that we're a sheep. When we no longer have a heart that's just based in selfishness and self-worship and self-pride, but it's a heart that begins to look at others and see them as those in need. But more importantly, we see here that Jesus gives us insight into whom our interests move. He says, to the least of these, my brothers. Now, that's kind of peculiar, and there's been some debate about what that means. But I think what Jesus is saying is here is that once our eyes are changed, we're able to see Jesus for who he is. It changes our direction and our life, and we begin to care for our brothers, our other believers, those that are part of the family of God. I think specifically that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you will know, Christians will know you love, or know that you believe by who you love or how you love your brothers. And so I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus here is telling us, love our brothers. Now, he's not saying, well, forget about the world. Don't care about those that are in need in the world. But he says, no, your heart should be turned towards where you're primarily caring for other Christians. For what takes place as we come into the family of God. 
when we believe in Jesus, we come into the family of God and we now have a new family. And with that family, we have a special closeness. We have a special bond and we have a special care for one another because we're able to see our family. We're able to see because of closeness. We're able to see because we have the same name. We're able to see various needs. And it's because of our close walk with our brothers and our new eyes, we're able to, to see and identify the various needs of our brothers And then God places us in a position to care for those needs. It's kind of like this. This week, we were uh, sitting down and and I had two of the girls with me, Rayleigh and I think Karis was there with us. And we were sitting down and we were getting ready to, to, to make some dinner. And we were just having this great conversation. And we were close in our kitchen, which is a great place for us. We're cutting up grapes and doing this other things. And Rayleigh takes a grape and she throws it in her mouth and starts, starts eating it. And all of a sudden, I look around and I see that Rayleigh is not breathing. Like her face is turning blue and, and Karis goes, Rayleigh, are you okay? Are you choking? She's like, yeah, I'm choking. You know, I'm like, I'm choking. She can't say it, but she's like, I'm choking. And so I'm freaking out. She's freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. We're screaming, ah, someone help us. And so I, being a great, caring, loving dad, I'm in a great position to t- go behind her and give her the Heimlich maneuver and the grape comes out. And I think about that as a, it was a scary moment. It was a very challenging moment because I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for not taking the life of my daughter right there. But I think how interesting it is, is in the whole world, there are people that have to have the Heimlich maneuver thousands of times every day. And how I didn't care for them. Like, I don't know them because I'm not close to them. But when I'm in a family, I have the opportunity to see that she is in choking and she is in need. And I put myself in a position to help. That's the beauty of being a part of the family of God. It gives us eyes to see. Now, that's a real life example. But being in the life of the church, in the family of God, we're able to see our brothers and sisters. We're able to see their challenges. We're able to see their struggles. And God wants us to be there so that we, because of our faith in God, are moved to compassion to provide for them, whatever their needs are, whether it is physically food, whether our, our, our brothers and sisters are physically hungry or our brothers and sisters are in a place where they need great shelter or we're in a place where our brothers and sisters are in need of relationship. So God has placed us. God wants this thing as we are sheep and he is the shepherd. He wants the sheep to care for the sheep under the direction of the shepherd. And this is amazing because this changes. The way that this works changes and has a great impact on the kingdom. And I want to share with you three things and three ways that, that this teaching gives a great impact to his kingdom. One way is the way God has set this up is so that we can be the answer to someone's prayer. Now follow me here. Now, believers are taught, when we believe in Jesus, Jesus is our all in all. He is everything that we need. And so when we are in need, where do we go? We tell it to Jesus. We, we cast our cares. We lay our burdens at the feet of God. And we say, God, this is my struggle. This is my challenge. And so we're pouring out our hearts to God. And God, who is in heaven, hears our prayers. And guess who God is going to use to answer our prayers? Our brothers and sisters that are walking with God. Like, isn't that an amazing thing? Like your prayers that you're praying can be answered by the brother or sister that's sitting next to you. Like that's a beautiful thing. So we can be the answer to someone else's prayer. The second thing, which I think may be a little bit more challenging for us, is that sometimes we need to come to the understanding that we need to allow someone else to be the answer to our prayers. 
There's so many times we come to a passage like this and we, we see ourselves as not the needy person, but we see ourselves as the giver or the, the helper. But I think so many times what God wants us to do is to also realize is that we are the needy brother sometimes. Like it's okay to be the needy brother. It's okay to look at your life and say, you know what, I don't have this all figured out. My children, they're running crazy. I don't know how to control them. My job, I'm about to lose it. Like we don't understand these things and sometimes it's hard for us. I'm about to lose my home. Sometimes as, as American Christians or Christians that are Americans, like we don't want to be in need. But I think what we, need, we can see from here is that sometimes when we are in need, we go to God and we pray and God blesses us with other people, our other brothers and sisters to come alongside us. So there's a need for us to sometimes allow others to be the answer to our prayers. But then thirdly, I think it's important, the way that God uses this to impact his kingdom is when believers respond like this, when we live in the family of God, like God has designed, it draws people outside, those that don't believe in Christ, they see how the church lives and they're drawn to Christ because of that. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus is looking out at the crowd and he has great compassion on them. And he says this, he says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was able to look out at the crowd and was able to look through the facade of their perfect lives and their, their fully packaged lives and saw their need. Their need was that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus had compassion on them, so he sent his followers out. You know, there will come a time when there are people that are placed around us in our spheres of influence that aren't part of the family of God that go through challenging times where they begin to look inside or life... They go through life and have experiences where they realize that they don't have it all together and they look out and they cry out for help. It's at those times that we as believers can come alongside them and allow them to see Christ for who he is and allow them to see that Christ can come and heal them forever. But that's how life is for the sheep. I want to spend just a moment Returning to the goats. If we look back at the goats, Jesus turns to the goats and, and has a conversation with the goats. And he basically says to them, because you couldn't see me, because you didn't care for me, because in your life your only concern was for yourself, and now that I've come in great glory and I stand before the throne, or you, you stand before my throne, now you come to me, and now it is too late. It is too late because you lived your life only concerned for yourself. You couldn't see me and you didn't care for me, so now your responsibility and your, your consequence is you must depart to punishment forever and you are cursed. That is the reality of what 
will happen. There are many, many millions of people that don't believe that, that don't understand that, that can't even see Christ. There are millions of people today, right now, there are neighbors of yours, there are family members of yours, there are coworkers right now that can't even see Christ. And so because of that, they have no care for Christ. No, they may be going off doing good things. They may be trying to feed the poor. They may be giving lots of their money away. But none of those things matter. Those are not the things that make you transition from a goat to a sheep. What makes you transition from a goat to a sheep is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, there was a day in my own life when my eyes were opened. See, I grew up in the church. I grew up, my parents would take us to church all the time. And so I grew up doing the right things, saying the right things, being the right person. And I thought following Jesus was all about doing the right thing. And if I did enough right things, then I would be good with God. But then one day when I was in high school, we went to this, um, this camp where the camp pastor was talking about the evidences of being a believer. He says, if you are a believer in Christ, like if your faith is really in Jesus, then your life will be changed. Like your life changes from being more focused and more selfish about yourself. Your life changes. And what begins to happen is he talked about these fruit that are, being, that are produced in you by the Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. And he says, the Spirit begins to produce these things inside of you. And he challenged us then to begin to look inside of our life and, and inspect our own fruit. And he says, you know, if you don't have fruit, you're not a believer. You're not a follower in Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting there in that seat, holding on to the seat very tightly. And for the first time, I began to look inside of my heart. And I realized that I didn't know this Jesus, that I wasn't following this Jesus, that I was performing, that I was going through these rituals. I was going to church, but I really didn't care, nor did I want to be transformed by this Jesus. And what's made it even worse is at the end, the the camp pastor said, if you are here today and you want to know Jesus, then come forward and someone will meet you and tell you how you can know about Jesus. And because my pride was still so full at that time, because I had built up this facade of being a religious person, I stood there in my seat and I said, you know, if I go forward, like my buddies that have been in youth group with me for all these years are going to be like, "What's, what's wrong with Jeff? And so I sat there and didn't move. But it wasn't until later on that weekend that I went home And I was utterly broken. And I remember by the bedside of my bed, I raised my hands and I said, God, take control. I give you control of my life. Like I've made a mess of it. I want you to forgive me. And God, I want to follow you. I want to be a follower of you. And that's when my journey began. So this morning, are your eyes open? If your eyes are open this morning, are your eyes on your brothers? Are you looking with the spirit and the heart of God to see the needs of your brothers and sisters? And are you moved with compassion to help them? But we also know that if our eyes are on Christ, if God has given us new eyes, then we're able to see with eyes of Christ. And this is what Jesus says, or this is what it says about God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God desires for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It is part of God's heart, part of God's desire that those that are goats will become sheep. That's part of his heart. And guess who God uses to help the goats, uh, help them understand that they're goats and help show them the way so they can become sheep? Guess who God uses? He uses sheep. 
So part of our heart is to look at the needs of our brothers, but part of our heart should be to look at those that are goats and not try to identify, oh, you're a goat. And then say, well, you're a goat. No, instead, look out and see those that may be goats and may be able to help those goats become sheep. Instead of judging them, we become the process through which God uses to help people come to know Jesus. So this morning, as we close, I want to ask just a simple question. Are you a goat or are you a sheep? Like That's the only thing that matters. We would not be here if it weren't for that question. If Jesus had not given us a great answer to that question. He says, you no longer have to wonder just being a goat, but you can be a sheep. And you can be a sheep through faith in Jesus. So today, are you a goat or are you a sheep? If you're a goat, the word promises and teaches us and challenges us that if we are a goat and you realize that today, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you would but turn your heart from yourself to God and say, God, I need you. I believe in Jesus today. You can transition from being a goat to being a sheep. But if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I am a sheep. I know I'm a sheep. The Lord has been working out this amazing thing in me. Then let me be, leave you with a word of encouragement. As you wait for Christ to return, fill your life with digging deep into God and his word and come to the place where you give your life away to your needy brothers. Think about that for a moment. The life of the believer is one that knows that their life is not their own. The possessions you have are not your own. The children that you have are not your own. The job you have is not your own. The house that you have is not your own. But everything that you've been given is so that you can be Christ's hands and feet, first to your brothers, but also to other goats. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. The song is a song you probably have heard before. It's a song called, I Surrender All. And I pray that as you sing this song, that the words that come out of your mouth would be the position of your heart, and it would be your heart cry to God. Saying, God, today I surrender all. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you realize for the very first time that you are a goat. I'm going to be standing in the back. And, and if you feel so moved that you want this Jesus, I'll be back there. You can come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus. Help me know Jesus today. And you can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. And I pray, God, in these next few minutes that you would just move. Help us to respond however you've been working in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray.